Okay. Excited for this. It's going to be great. If we have not met before, my name is Bryce Holdman. A lot of people call me Spicy Bryce around here. Uh, this is an absolute mess right here, as we can see. Um, I was not expecting to get pied that hard, but I am uh, privileged to be the person that you guys voted for. This week, um, I was actually texting my mom a few days ago, and uh, she saw the Instagram story and was like, do you, do you think you're going to be the one that gets pied right when it came out? And for some reason, I immediately said no, thinking that because it was going to happen on Sunday night, it was only going to be high schoolers voting. And so I was like, well, obviously, they're going to vote for James or Anna because they are the ones who chill with you guys most often. Or even Stal, because he is our uh, fearless leader. But then um, she kind of pointed out to me that uh, middle schoolers also get a vote, and middle schoolers are absolute nuts. Like, they're crazy. Um, and so uh, I, actually, my, my brother right here on the front row named Garrison he, um, he created an Instagram page this week called, uh, let me make sure I get it right. Bryce should get pied. Is that what it, okay. So when he created that, I totally thought a middle schooler created it. And I was getting ready to text the middle schooler. I knew who took the profile picture that she set. And I, was, I was getting ready to text her and be like, why did you do this? I mean, it's legendary, but why? I don't want to get pied. And then my brother told me it was him. So I, I feel like there are one, of two, one or two of you guys in this room who probably voted for me to get pied. And I'm glad that we could finally do it. It was, it was an experience. I smell great right now. Well, I'm excited to be back with you guys again tonight. I love speaking to middle school, but I really, really, really love speaking to high schoolers. And the reason is because I feel like you guys can track with me a little more. And, uh, and I, I love the privilege to speak to you guys. And right now, we're in week four of our series called, bottom right corner, Jesus is. Nice. Jesus is. Now, in week one of Jesus is, does anyone remember what the point was of week one? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And James came and he told us that Jesus is God himself. He shows God's power through miracles that he works, and we can trust that he is in control. Now, week two, Stow came and he said that Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. The Bible is full of real truth compared to all the fake news that we see around us. And what Jesus speaks is truth itself. And then last week, Anna Wills came and dropped a bomb of a message to declare that Jesus is our friend. If you're anything like me, you've probably come across some good friends in your life, and you've probably come across some not-so-good friends in your life. But, again, if you're anything like me, you've probably been a good friend, right? But you've probably also been a not-so-good friend on a few occasions. But I'm so thankful that, like, Jesus, uh, like, like Anna said last week, Jesus Christ is our best friend. And he is the friend that is never going to turn his back on us, regardless of how many times we've turned our back on him, which is what we're going to kind of talk about tonight. So before we jump in, I want to tell you a short story. So recently, I applied to this thing called seminary. Some of you guys, guys may have heard that term before. It's a, it's a church world term. And basically what it is, is it's grad school after undergrad. And, um, and so I, I applied to this seminary, which is Bible-based, and um, it's in uh, Kentucky. But I applied for the online version. Um, it's Asbury Theological Seminary. Um, Trevor and uh, Jeff uh, currently go there or have gone there. And um, a, a few weeks ago, I got this letter in the mail saying that, Bryce, you have been accepted into Asbury. Now, I was super overjoyed. I was super excited because what I had received was good news. It was good news, right? That I applied thinking, hey, I would love to go to this seminary. And finally, I get accepted. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is great news. This is good, good news. It feels great. And you see, good news usually means that there is something good on the horizon. There's something good coming our way. Or in some cases, there is someone good coming our way. So if you have your Bibles with me or your apps on your phone, turn to Luke 2. Luke chapter 2 is in the New Testament. 
We're going to be hitting a few, few passages, just a few verses tonight. And this is the first one, Luke chapter 2. I'll give you a second to get there. And this part of Luke is often read around Christmas time. If you've come to any of our Christmas services or any other Christmas services anywhere else, you've probably heard this chapter read before because there is a significant little baby boy born, that is hard to say, in Luke 2. And I just want to read two quick verses for us to get us started. Verses 10 and 11. Feel free to follow along as I read them. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the Savior. Now, this baby that they're talking about had just been born, right? And his name was Jesus. You may have heard of him before. And he is the Messiah, the Bible says. He's the Lord. Already they're telling people, hey, this guy's the Messiah. He's the one that the whole Old Testament is talking about. This guy's the Lord. And as we're going to talk about tonight, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. If in your notes you like titling messages, that's what the title is. Jesus is our Savior. That's the main point we're going to be talking about. Now, it's not a hidden secret, I hope, that we talk about Jesus a lot in church. So if you have grown up in church, if you've been coming to even Sunday nights, for a little while now, you uh, can clearly see, hopefully, that Jesus is the center of every message we preach. He's the center of every song that we sing. He's the center of everything. But why do we do this? Why is this Jesus guy that is talked about a lot in the Bible and talked about a lot on Sunday nights, for instance, and Sunday mornings, why is this guy so special? You see, Jesus came to do something that no one else in history has ever done, or frankly, even been capable of doing, he came to save us from something. He's the Savior because he came to save us from something, and that something is a three-letter word called sin. Sin. Now, Genesis 3, you can turn there if you want. Quick story. Adam and Eve commit the first sin. You've probably heard this before if you've grown up in a church setting. It's the first time that humans have turned their backs on God. God said, hey, don't eat from this tree, and what did they do? They said, I'm going to eat from this tree. Okay, that's the first sin that's committed against God. But it's so interesting to me that in the same chapter, the same chapter, just a few words later, that the first sin is committed, God makes a promise. God makes a promise to bring a savior. He tells Adam, Eve, and the serpent what their punishments are for the sin committed. Now, before I read this little section, a lot of scholars believe that the serpent was actually Satan taking the form of a snake in this passage. All right. So this is what the Bible says. God says to the serpent, because you've done this, because you've tempted my people into sin, you're cursed. You're cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals. You're cursed to slink on your belly and eat dirt all your life. I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And then here's the key verse. He'll crush your head. You'll wound his heel. He'll crush your head. You'll wound his heel. Now, if I stop there and we'd all go home, we'd be kind of confused. Because if you're anything like me, the first time you hear that or read that, or maybe the 100th time, if you don't look any deeper, think any deeper, it doesn't really mean much. But like I said, in this passage, many people believe that the serpent is Satan taking the form of this serpent. So what God is essentially saying here right off the bat, Genesis 3, the first sin is just committed. God tells the serpent, one day, one day, there's going to come a man born as a baby As a descendant of this woman, Eve, he's going to crush your head even though you try to just strike his heel. And you won't be able to tempt him into your sinful ways. And through him, the curse of sin will be broken once and for all. 
You see, all throughout the Old Testament, we see two different things. First, that is very clear is sin is everywhere. That's still clear today in our world. We can turn on the news. We can look to our right and left pretty much any time throughout the school day, and we can see, see that sin is present. Sin's everywhere. But the second thing that we see is this promise, this promise that God makes in the third chapter of the entire Bible that is this red line all throughout the Old Testament to this point in Luke 2 that we just read. God is constantly reminding his people, hey, I know it's tough. I know you can't seem to get away from this sin that you're stuck in. I know it's got you in bondage, but trust me, I have got a plan. I have got a plan. It's a plan that not even the devil will be able to stand against when I start putting it into action. And I want everyone, not just the perfect people, not just the people who claim to not have sin in their life. No, no, no. I want everyone. That means you and me in this room. That means the people not in this room. I want everyone to be a part of it. God had a plan. And finally, in Luke 2, like we just read, this promised child that has been talked about for so long, he's finally born. He's the Messiah, he's the good news, he's the Lord, and he is the Savior of the entire world. Now, after his birth, Jesus does some incredible things to show people glimpses of what God really looks like, what God the Father really looks like. And we read about him healing people, we read about him feeding people, we read about him teaching people and about him doing miraculous things that no one had ever seen before and no one has really seen since on some occasions. But tonight I want us to look at just one thing, one thing that Jesus came to do that made him the savior of the world. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life. He, he lived a sinless life. He was tempted just like us, but he never gave in to the sins that we probably gave in to today. And he showed thousands of people what God was really like. He gave hope to people who'd waited so long for that. But then his life nears the end. So again, if you have your Bibles with me, we're gonna go two books to the left to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And I want us to look at how Jesus' time on earth came to a close. You see, God's plan didn't just include Jesus living a perfect life, a sinless life, but there also had to be a sacrifice now, in the Old Testament, if you know a lot about the Old Testament, you know that God required sacrifices when people would sin against him. So if Bryce Holdman lived in the Old Testament and he said this hateful thing to Garrison Holdman one day, what Bryce Holdman had to go do was he had to go find an animal, kill it, and then offer it on the altar to God saying, here is my sacrifice, please take away the sin that I just committed. And in the life of Jesus, he, Jesus, was that sacrifice for our sin once and for all. And in verse 39 of Matthew 26, Jesus is with his disciples. He knows his time is coming to a close on this earth. And he steps away to pray on his own to the Father. So essentially, Jesus and his disciples are walking around. They go to this garden of Gethsemane. And he tells his disciples, hey, guys, I need you to stay here. Just keep praying. Just keep watch for me. I'm gonna walk over here and do my own thing for a few minutes. So he gets over here. He gets on two knees just like this. I just picture Jesus doing this in my head. And he closes his eyes. He, he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, 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 Father. I know my time's coming to a close. But if there is any other way that we can do this, if there's any other way that this can be done, let's do that. But if not, here's the key. If not, if not, if not, let your will be done, not my own. Let your will be done, not my own. And if you're anything like me, there have been a few times in my life where, or more than a few times in my life, where I find myself maybe doing a similar thing, but when I get on my knees, what ends up happening is I'm, I'm not necessarily saying, God, 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 let's do it your way and only your way, regardless of what it costs. It's more so if, if it's going to hurt, if it's not going to look pretty, if it's not going to be perfect, then I'm going to do my own thing. 
But what Jesus is saying here, he gets down on both knees, the Savior of the world, fully God, fully man. He looks up to his Father in heaven who he's been with before, and he says, I know this is about to end. Whatever it takes, I'm in. Let's do it your way. Because like we said at the beginning, God had a plan. So then Jesus does this two more times. He goes back to his disciples. They're sleeping half the time. And he's like, you guys keep doing your own thing. I'm going to go pray again. He does it two more times. And after that, he's arrested in the same garden. And then they put him on trial. And all these witnesses come and say that he did things that he didn't do. He said things that he didn't say. And then finally, they say, this guy is claiming to be God. Therefore, he deserves to die. Let's put him on a cross. So they do. So he hangs on this cross for a while, still alive, still breathing. But he knows the end is really, really near. And he's got people throwing things at him. He's got people insulting him. He's got people making fun of him. And he's still hanging here. And the last thing that he says before he breathes his very last breath and dies, this is what he does. He looks right up towards heaven. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can only imagine the thoughts going through Jesus' head. That he's already said, God, let's do this your way. He's already suffered for us. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's had insults thrown at him that, that he didn't deserve. But he's hanging on this cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, I thought you said this was going to be great. I thought you said you had a plan. I thought you said you were going to try to use me. I thought that you were going to let me live this perfect, sinless life, and it was going to come to a final close that was going to be happily ever after. But now I'm hanging on a cross. What are you up to? And Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? But like we said, God reminds all his people throughout the Bible, and here he reminds us tonight that he has got a plan. Sometimes that plan does not make sense to our human minds, but nonetheless, God has a plan. And at the moment, this is my favorite part of scripture, when, at the moment when Jesus breathed his very last breath, the Bible tells us that there was this gigantic curtain on the temple. So just picture this in your head. A huge temple where a lot of people are. There's this big curtain hanging here, kind of like these curtains, probably a lot bigger. And it's just hanging here, and it tears right down the middle in two. Boom, gone. Hits the ground. It's no longer there. Now, a few years ago, I was reading this passage, and it caught my attention. So I decided I was going to look a little deeper, do a little digging, see if there was any significance here. And that is why this is my favorite passage of Scripture. You see this curtain that was hanging on the temple. A lot of people in the area, the Jews in the area, they believed that behind this curtain was where God's dwelling place was on earth. That's where God was. But the only people that could go back there were the ones that didn't have any sin in their life. So that means if you and me were in this time period and we see this curtain, there's going to be so much mystery looking at it from afar. Like, I wonder what it feels like to be where God is. I've been praying to him. I've been sacrificing things to you, God. I don't want this sin anymore, but I, don't, I still have it in my life. So I wonder what it feels like to be where you are, God. And it's so incredible to me that the first thing that God does, as soon as Jesus breathes his last breath, is he sends us an invitation. He sends us an invitation. He's saying, regardless of where you were in your sin, are in your sin, and are going in your sin, the first thing I'm going to make very clear is I allowed my son to live a perfect, sinless life to break the curse of sin. And I'm sending an invitation to the people in this room, to the people back then. I'm sending an invitation that maybe you've been running so far from God. And the first thing God wants you to recognize is you are invited to be where he is. For so long, nobody could go. But right here, right now, God is inviting you to be where he is. He's showing us that no more will your sins separate you from where I am. 
Jesus paid the price for the sin we've committed now, before now, and in the future. And God is inviting you into his presence. He isn't requiring us to be perfect and without sin. What he wants from us is to accept the free gift that he is giving us right now. Right now. He's saying, bring your sins, bring your burdens, bring everything you're worried about, bring every doubt you have that I can actually do what I said I'm going to do. Bring that with you. I want that all to come so that I can free you from it. That's what God wants us to realize. And you know, it, it isn't hard to see that the world is full of evil. It's full of it. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you forget who your Savior is. Maybe you came walking in tonight and you totally forgot or maybe just didn't know who your Savior actually was. You've been looking every possible direction trying to find someone or something that could save you from the lifestyle you're living that could maybe redirect you to something better because you still know there's this void in your heart that God's knocking on your heart, but you're trying to make every excuse saying it's something else or someone else. And what God's trying to show you is I'm inviting you to recognize that's me. That's been me the whole time. That I've been chasing after you. Every step that you've run away, I've been right there waiting for you to turn around. And my favorite verse in the entire Bible is John 16, 33. It's so simple. It says, in this world, you're gonna face trouble. This is Jesus talking. He tells us straight up, you're gonna face trouble in this world. I'm not denying that. But take heart, for I have overcome the entire world. He, Jesus does not just say, I've overcome that one sin that you're struggling with, everything else, I struggle with it. No, no, no. He's saying, I've overcome the entire world and everything in it. Every negative thing, every sinful thing, I've overcome it all. I've overcome the world. You see, the story did not end when Jesus breathed his last breath because God had a plan to three days later tell him to get up and get out of the grave and rise victoriously over the sin, rise victoriously over death itself, and because of that, we can have eternal life where God is. Not just now in this life, but the life to come too. God had a plan. You see, I have no idea where you are with Jesus right now. I, 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 I really don't. I don't know if you've known him all your life and you are just in the best place right now you've ever been. Or maybe you walked in here and you have no, this is the first time you're hearing this dude's name. The first time you hear Jesus' name. Or anywhere in between. I have no idea where you are with Jesus. But what I do know is that we have a savior named Jesus that decided, he looked at us before we were even born and he decided that person, those people, they are worth it. They are worth the pain. They're worth the suffering. They are worth whatever I have to do to get them back where they belong. God is sending us an invitation to come back where we belong. Jesus has overcome the burdens. He's overcome the addictions. He's overcome the struggles. He's overcome the baggage we're carrying right now. He's overcome it all. And right here, right now in this room, he's stretching out his hands just like he did on the cross. I picture that in my head all the time. Whenever I'm struggling with something, I think back to the cross because I think the cross is a beautiful picture. Of God, God, God is using Jesus to show us, I have my hands wide open. I'm ready to welcome you back. Regardless of how lost you may be, I'm ready to welcome you home. As we close tonight, there's one more story that I want to tell you in the Bible. And it's a story that Jesus tells in the Gospels about two different sons. You may have heard the story before. And you see, there's these two sons, and then there's this dad in the story. Those are the three characters. And this one son finally gets to the end of himself with his family, and he's like, brother, dad, I'm done with you guys. I'm gonna go do my own thing, so just give me my share of money. I'm gonna go live my own life. So he does, he leaves randomly. 
So he takes the share of money that was his, and he ends up spending all this money on worthless things by himself. He tries to keep gaining something that the world tells him he needs over and over and over and over and over, and he spends all of his money that he got. And then he, he ends up working as a servant for someone else. And he gets to the end of himself one day. He's like, what was I thinking? He just had this revelation like, oh, my goodness, I need to go back where I belong, which is to my family. I, I never should have left in the first place. So he decides, all right, I'm done with my own life. I, I'm, I'm going to go back where I belong. But then he just kind of stops. And he remembers, man, I wonder what their reaction is going to be. Because there's no way after what I did to them that they would ever want me back. There's no way. And this is incredible. The, the Bible tells us that while the son was still a long way off from going home, his father saw him. He saw him coming from his house. He goes out on his porch. He sees him running, and he starts running towards him. He's so overjoyed. He's filled with compassion, the Bible says. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. He was so overjoyed. The son said to him, Father, 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 wait, 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 wait. Wait, because I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. There's no reason for you to be this happy to see me. I am way too far gone from whatever love you're trying to show me right now. There's no way you want me back. But the father just puts that stuff to the side that the son is saying. He says, quick, servants, bring the best robe and put, him, put it on this guy. Get a ring and put it on his finger, sandals for his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a feast. And here's the key. Let's have a feast to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he's now alive again. He was lost, but now he was lost, but now he's found. You see, Jesus used this story to show us a clear, clear picture of how God views us. That the Savior of the world did not die on a cross and get up three days later just so that the found people could stay found. That's not it. Jesus is looking at you in your head right now. He's knocking on your heart right now. He was looking at you before you were ever created. And he looks at you and, and he sees you at your worst possible point and he says, they're still worth it. They're still worth it. I know sin was gonna tempt them. I know sin was gonna be all over them. I know that they would hit certain points where they would, they would think about ending it all. It's not worth it anymore. I'm done with this. But regardless, what Jesus is speaking over you right now is even though you don't think it's worth it, God is telling you, you are worth it. You're worth it. You're worth the pain Jesus had to go through. You're worth the sufferings that Jesus had to go through. God created you. He designed you. He loves you. And he desperately, desperately, desperately wants to save you from the sins of this world. So here's what I want to do before we sing this last song. I want everybody to stand for me real quick. And I want everybody to just close their eyes and bow their heads. Just close your eyes, bow your heads all across this place. You see, tonight we, we talked about how Jesus is our Savior, that he decided that we were worth dying for amidst all our sin. And all along, God had a plan to save us from this sin, even though he knew we were going to struggle with it. The God of the universe is inviting you right now. Not, not before now, not after now. Just focus on right now. Because right now, God is inviting you into his presence. Before, there was this separation between you and God because of your sin. And maybe you've been chasing after every possible thing that this world could possibly offer you. But what God is telling you in this moment is, child, you are worth it. 
And I've been right behind you the whole time, every step of the way, waiting for you to turn around. And maybe tonight is the night that you stop running. You recognize I'm out of breath. I need to turn around. And God is right there with his arms open, waiting to welcome you home where you belong. So in a moment, I want us all to pray a prayer out loud. I want everybody to repeat after me out loud whenever I pause. And during this prayer, I want you to just think to yourself. This is between you and God. I, I, I desperately want you to think to yourself, God, 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 have I been running? And if I've been running, is it towards you or away from you? And if it's away from you, what in my life needs to get out of the way so that I can see you clearly for who you are? During this prayer, as we say these words, think about these words and what they mean to you uniquely. So repeat after me, Jesus, you died upon a cross and rose again to save the lost. Forgive me now of all my sin. Come be my savior, Lord, and friend. Change my life and make it new and help me, Lord, to live for you. Every head bowed and eye closed still. This is, this is a moment between you and God, and I don't want us to miss it. I want to give two invitations. As we said, God is inviting you right now, right now, to not wait another moment to get right with him. I have no idea where you are with Jesus right now, but God knows way better than, than even you do. And so tonight, if, if, if you would say, man, I, I, I remember that day or that time in my life where I said yes to Jesus. But since then, I've just been running. I've been running, I've been running. I've considered ending it all, maybe. Or I, I've just been running so, so far away from where God is, and there's no way that he would ever want me back. But tonight, maybe God is speaking to you saying, child, you are worth it, you are wanted. And I want you back where I am. If that's you, then I would just ask you to shoot your hand up in the air right now. Nobody's looking. This is between you and God. It's you and God. Now, second invitation I want to give is if during that prayer that we just prayed, you were really reflecting and you really felt like God was knocking on your heart, that there's been this void in your heart, that you've never invited Jesus to come in and fill that void. That may maybe tonight is the night that you say, yes, Jesus, this world is full of sins. This world is full of evil. This world is, is full of chaos, but I'm so grateful that you've overcome it all, not just parts of it, it all. You've overcome, Jesus. And Jesus, I, I want to enter into a personal relationship, a personal connection with you, and I wanna spend eternity with you, God. If that is you and you wanna make that commitment right here, right now, in this moment, in this place, I would ask you to shoot your hand up in the air right now. Don't wait another moment. This is between you and God. That's it. Just you and God. Now, I'm, I'm about to pray one more time. And um, but before I do, what I, what I want to encourage you to do is if you just responded to either of those invitations, I would ask that you, that you would find someone that you're close with, whether a family member, a friend, someone in the back maybe, a staff member, volunteer, a worship team member, anybody that you know that you can be comfortable around, that you, you confide in, find that person 
either today or tomorrow or, or whenever that time is for you, and just tell them about the decision you made. Just pull them aside and say, this is what God was stirring in me last night or tonight or, or Sunday night. This is what I felt. This is the decision I made. And this is the new life that I am choosing to live. So let's pray together as we move into this final time of worship. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for every single person in this room that came in here carrying things that maybe only you and them know about. But God, nonetheless, you saw them in that sin and you said that they were worth it. You said that, that you have already set them free from it. And all you're asking of them is to reach out and to accept that free gift. God, I pray that during this final song, talking about your good, good grace, that, that we all would be reminded that we are in need, in, in desperate need of a Savior. But thank you so much that you have sent that person to us so many years ago. God, I pray you'd move in ways that we did not see coming. You would move in ways that only you can move during this final time of worship. And what happened here tonight would not end here tonight. What happened in this series would not end here in this series as this series ends. But that you would truly be moving in somebody's heart during this song, but also out from here. And that this would reshape the way that someone is living their life. Instead of running, instead of feeling lost, you are calling us found. Lord, we give you all the honor, the praise, and glory that you are worthy of alone, and we recognize that your name is the only name, the only name that is worth being lifted high above all else. Lord, we love you, and we ask that you would move in a mighty way during this final song. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.